If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So I get a text from you and it's a series of numbers and letters and I get these enough to understand what this means. It, it, it's a license plate number that you've texted to me for future reference in case you want to call the fuzz. And yep. you do a lot to the point, and we've discussed this before. When you do call nine one one, they just go "Hello, cat." When they pick they up. call me Katrina. Katrina, okay. <laughs> yes, Katrina. What is it today? <laughs> yes, I do. I call the police often. I am an alert person. You I am are. a citizen <laughs> who is aware. See something, say something. Yep. See something, say something. Or in this case, just make stuff up in your head. No. So here, here's the deal. This is why she. You don't know. She, she, she texted me this license plate number because of suspicious activity. A car had pulled over to the side of the road and a person got out. Of the passenger side. Of the passenger side and was getting the mail out of a rural mailbox because we live out in the country. So instead of thinking, well, this is probably a person who, you know, just pulled over to get the mail and then is going to pull in their driveway. Your thought was that uh, somebody in that house had been brutally murdered and that these people were responsible somehow and were taking the mail so that neighbors wouldn't be suspicious when mail started piling up. Right. <laughs> they were driving away from the house. It wasn't uh, like they were coming home and I see. It was it was a suspicious mail gathering situation. I see. You weren't there. So it was it was guys, there were two guys, so no, immediately you thought it was a man and a woman. The oh, woman was the one getting the mail. Like a body and Clyde thing. She was she she was getting the mail. He was driving the getaway car. Right. Yeah. It you was know, a truck, though. This, I love the way your brain works. This is why I married you, <laughs> because immediately you go to the most <laughs> elaborate 
fictional explanation of what could possibly be happening. Like like the time last summer when you saw somebody filling a gas can and you figured that they were just, you know, an arsonist. Well, I on mean, the, way. the simplest explanation is most often oh, the... Occam's razor. The, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I love it. I do believe you go first this episode. That seems right, yeah, I think. Yeah. I have no understanding if that's true or not, but I'm going to go with, sure. Do it. Yeah. So somebody had messaged and said, have you guys ever heard of Rainbow Body? And what? Rainbow Body? The Rainbow Body Phenomenon. And I had not, and I can't find his message now, and I do apologize to that person. Uh, I think you're great. <laughs> I don't know where your message went. <clears throat> So here we go. We're going to talk about rainbow body phenomenon. So the rainbow body phenomenon is a third person perspective of someone else attaining complete knowledge. Of somebody else. Explain that. All right. So most of this comes from futurism.com. How do we say that was pronounced? Gaia? G-A-I-A? Gaia. Gaia. Gaia.com. And of course, Wikipedia. Which is the jingle that Kat wrote for them. And she sent it in, but they haven't bought it yet. Can't believe they're ignoring me. So, of course, like the Old and New Testaments of the Bible, as well as ancient Greek and Egyptian texts, include stories of those who have defied death via forms of ascension. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to many, the most compelling tales of transcendence are accounts from the Tibetan Buddhists in the rainbow body tradition. So, rainbow body involves the dissolution of the physical body into pure light, that may occasionally be achieved by practitioners on or around their time of death. Wow. The process of obtaining the rainbow body is achieved by the practice of togal, T-O with an umlaut, G-A-L. I love the word umlaut. It's a great word. I don't know what it does to the sound of an O, but I like the sound of the word. Let's say it together. Umlaut. Mm, That was nice. So uh, togal, that's what I'm going to call it, or direct crossing, which is a way of directly perceiving the clear light. And the clear light is what is believed to be the direct root of consciousness. So we're talking about Buddhism. We're talking about a belief system that revolves around consciousness and our connection with the universe. So togal has a quality of instantaneous immediate realization. So you know how they say, like, you have awareness, you you become conscious, aware of... Total consciousness. Total awareness, yeah. yeah. Right, um, right. Well, it's like Bill Murray in Caddyshack when he talks about caddying for the Dalai Lama. And uh, he said, uh, hey, you know, Lama, how about, you know, a little something for the help there? And uh, the Dalai Lama says, oh, there'll be no money. But when you die... You will have all-knowing consciousness. So I got that going for me, which is nice, I think. Yeah, it's just it's just like Caddyshack. It's like Caddyshack. <laughs> Caddyshack is a very spiritual film. Everything that Bill Murray is in is spiritual because Bill Murray's in it. Amen to that, sister. So um, the effect of Togel is to enable the person to actualize all of the different aspects of enlightenment within themselves uh, in one lifetime. 
So you know how the idea of reincarnation, a lot of people think that you reincarnate until you've reached this point of understanding and perfection. Mm -hmm. So the enlightenment process is kind of like a spiritual recycling system. Exactly. Um, Which reminds me of that project that I did in middle school um, about recycling. And I made the poster and it said uh, it had like the the little recycle logo with the arrows, you know, and then it said recycle your soul. Uh Uh, But I misspelled soul. (laughs) So it was like it was like a used shoe recycling plant. (laughs) Right. So an advanced practitioner of Togel may potentially achieve one of three levels of this phenomenon. Number one, rainbow body. Mm -hmm. This achievement occurs only after the time of physical death and generally involves a week-long process of the body shrinking and dissolving into light. Number two. Is this something that a loved one standing around the monk dying can see? Yes. This is, it's reportedly yes. Okay. There are people who say that they have witnessed monks shrinking down to the size of a loaf of bread before dissolving into light. Holy crap. That would be cool. (laughs) In less advanced practitioners, a small baby-sized body may remain, and in more advanced practitioners, only hair and nails may be left behind. Holy shit. Number two, rainbow body of light. This uh, second level of achievement may begin before the time of physical death and the shrinking of the physical body before it dissolves into light may occur uh, very quickly or in some cases achieved slowly by the practitioner over the course of months and or years. Number three, the rainbow body of great transference, which is the highest level of the rainbow body achievement. It's extremely rare, which I th- would think any one of, of these would things. be yeah. pretty. Yep. Um, and mirrors the, pra- the process of achieving the rainbow body of light, except that in this case, the practitioner dissolves into light, but remains fully functional as a being of light. Uh, incidentally, that's the one I want. This was in the uh, Gaia article that I read. The scene in The Last Jedi where Luke Skywalker dissolves his physical body in order to become one with the Force appears to have been inspired by this Tibetan Buddhist tradition appearance of Force ghosts. And he became one with the Force. You You know, there is uh, that's one of the things I loved about George Lucas's vision for Star Wars is that there were so many plots and subplots and and story points that came from various organized religions. I mean obviously it's the uh the classic um good versus, good versus evil versus evil, but you know, there's elements of the resurrection in there and you know, it's it's very it's it's really interesting. Yeah, that would be a fun thing to explore a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um so as I mentioned, uh the shrinking down process uh you usually will leave behind fingernails, toenails, and hair. The attainment of the rainbow body is typically accompanied by the appearance of lights and or rainbows. I'm just thinking about the, the nails and the hair. Maybe that's what happened at that second-rate hotel we stayed at in Orlando. Oh, my gosh. Maybe that is what happened. Someone oh. was... Uh, became having a, rainbow. a bath, yeah. became a rainbow, and yeah. then just all their gross body bits were left scattered about the room. Yeah. I still get the shivers thinking about that room. Full body shivs. I'm still convinced that that was blood splatter. 
on the wall. Next, I don't think yeah. anyone argues no, with you about no. that. And the carpet was damp, so. <laughs> yeah. So every instance of a death with signs of the rainbow body attainment is unique and no one can accurately predict what will happen. Uh, Generally, the individual, uh, according to this, uh, who entered the meditation before death continues to maintain the meditation posture. They do not topple over. They don't slump over, even though they're technically dead. Um, They don't display rigor mortis. The body, particularly around the heart, stays warm. And this uh, has actually been recorded by medical science. Now, I've seen photos of, I believe they were Tibetan monks, mm-hmm. in the um, <clears throat> in that uh, meditation position, you know, the classic cross-leg meditation position we're all familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that They were mummies, that they had died maybe a thousand years ago or something and had mummified mummified in that position. They were still holding that position. Mm-hmm. Were that Was that a failed attempt <laughs> at, at becoming a rainbow body? Um, well, I don't think, I don't think they go into these meditations thinking I'm going to become a rainbow body. You know, that's, it may have just been um, that their body was so practiced at that position that as they died, it didn't I see. fall out of it. Right. I don't know. Okay. I do know though, that um, my, my mom is a, a Reiki master and used to be uh, quite a prolific meditator. I don't know if that's the terminology to use or not, but <laughs> she did it a lot. Yeah, we understand what you mean. Yeah, okay. And um, she went into a meditation once and didn't come out for 30 hours. Whoa. And Why am I just hearing about this? Well, I, I don't know. Probably we just haven't talked about it. It was a, it was a weird time. And uh, yeah. Were you a kid then? I was in high school. You were in high school? Yeah. And your mom was just in this meditative state for 30 hours and yeah. you, you didn't call authorities or anything? No, she does a lot of weird stuff. No, I see. So okay. I kind of was just like, cool, she's leaving me alone. <laughs> I can go listen to New Kids on the Block as loud as I want. All right. First of all, you should be better versed in at what age I was uh, into what music. Okay. I'm sorry. Shine down. Excuse me? <laughs> So upset with you right now. So upset you have with you right extremely now. good musical taste. So upset. I'm just teasing. I'm funning you. Is what I'm doing. We're breaking up. <laughs> An example of a practitioner allegedly achieving the third stage is found in a small Indian village called Nako, where the alleged footprint of Padmasambhava or Guru Rinpoche can be seen imprinted on a rock. What? So. Yeah. Uh, Tibetan Buddhists believe that he achieved the rainbow body of great transference and performed various miracles, but still existed as a light being. So during this ascension to the rainbow body, uh, the molecular dissolving and atomic reconfiguration caused the footprint in the rock? Yeah, that's almost word for word, exactly yep. what the article says. I'm sure. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know how that works. Um, but this is an account 
from the uh, attending physician, Dr. David Levy, when the head of the Kaju lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, the Karmapa, shared had his experience. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the I'm 100% sure I'm not saying this right. It's K-A-R-M-A-P-A. Karmapa? Karm- I, you know, you're asking anyway, the wrong person here. Apparently, he shared the same status and importance as the Dalai Lama. Hmm. And it is said that um, the doctor noted indications of heart failure on the monitors uh, when he was passing. And the medical team tried to revive Karmapa, but gave up after about 45 minutes. So they began pulling out the tubing that they had, you know, sustaining life. And his blood pressure um, was 140 over 80. And one of the nurses screamed, he has a pulse. And the team members were obviously like, no, we, we know that he was dead. He was just dead. We, we, we've seen this. And an older Tibetan lama in attendance said, it's impossible, but this does happen. And Levy reported that 48 hours after the time of Karmapa's death, his chest was still warm. So he, 48 hours. Yeah. Wow. Now he had died. But he still had a pulse, and then he was still warm forty-eight hours later. Isn't that the definition of death, though? I think so. I'm no pulse. It the the doctor said that he was dead. Yeah, but he had a pulse. I don't know. Yeah, he has a pulse, but he's dead. We're just saying he's dead. I, I don't understand how you can. After about two days, his body started to cool, um, but around his heart stayed warm. And there was no odor or decay. Uh, he stayed in a state of deep meditation for three days, and then he went cold, and the process of death set in. But it was like five days before the doctors were like, okay, so is he actually dead, or wow. what's uh, mm. Whether or not I think that that's you know what happens exactly i i can't say but what i do know is that there's a lot that we don't understand even about the way that our own bodies work so um i think that it's really interesting uh to hear this doctor's account of how his patient was dead and not dead at the same time yeah you know you hear about stories like this about tibetan buddhist monks but usually the ones that i've heard took place centuries ago right it's really cool that they had this one this guy hooked up to a uh, to a bunch of machines that go ping exactly born in 1918 kenpo achu was from eastern tibet and from 1956 onward he entered a retreat and stayed there for the most of the rest of his life he was known throughout the region as a great yogi and a meditation master, and his death was the subject of an article by the Institute of Noetic Sciences in 2002. On August 29, 1998, Kenpo Achu, 80 years of age, attained physical dissolution. One day at noon, lying in bed without having suffered any recent illness, he attained Buddhahood, his heart of clear light reality perfected beyond intellect as his body dissolved into light his wrinkles vanishing he seemed like an eight-year-old child what? with a beautiful complexion what, what what time was this when what year does 1998 98 after a week had passed when people came to know of his death they performed his death puja Secretly, because at that time, practices related to this belief were um, illegal in communist China. And in order to deceive 
authorities, people had to pretend like they weren't doing what they were actually sure, doing. Sure. Um, when witnesses say that when he actually passed, when he reached the point of complete light, a pleasant aroma pervaded the space and that rainbows appeared outside and then his body gradually diminished in size and he got smaller and smaller until all that was left was nails and hair and then even those disappeared and people said just like a bird flying from a rock people have no idea where he went what over what period of time did the body dissolve down like that it just says gradually so i don't know that's fascinating it is. It's interesting because it's not stories from a long, long time sure. ago yeah. in Borders. a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't border on legend So um, and myth. Again, I don't know how much I... I know how much I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I don't subscribe to a lot of things, but it doesn't make it less interesting that people say that they've seen this happen. So it's I, th- I think it's fascinating. Oh, and um, there's not a lot in what I read about female masters in the Tibetan uh, tradition, but women are certainly capable of achieving the realization that results in rainbow body. It's just they only get 80% of the rainbow body. Nice. And then it gets trapped in, you know, the glass ceiling. Sure. And holds it in. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Nice social commentary. What? No. I dig it. No. I didn't. It's not a thing. Um, Tasha Lamo was the mother of Lokar Rinpoche. And she became a nun in her later years. She was known as a great practitioner. And after she died in India, it is said that her body shrank to about 12 inches in size. That's amazing. What would you do if that happened to like a family member, like your Uncle Ralph? You know, Uncle Ralph dies. You really don't know him that well because he moved to California when you were a kid. But he dies, and you go to the funeral, and he's 12 inches in size. Yeah. And what do you do with him after that? Do you like just you know put him up on the I think you mantle? put him in a cooler. You put him in a cooler. Oh, yeah. Look at that. There's, holy shit. They, he's in an igloo cooler, and he's all wrapped up. You know what he looks like? He looks like E.T. Oh, a little bit, yeah. It's interesting, because you can't tell exactly what's going on in there, because he is all wrapped up. Yep. But his head looks smaller, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. I'm going to post this picture. <clears throat> See, hey. I, w- I wouldn't put Uncle Ralph in a cooler. I-, I would put him up on, like, the mantle next to my Beanie Baby collection. That's worth something, by the way. It's not accurate. Um. Anyway, I thought that was interesting, and, beca- and that I'd never heard of it. It's fascinating. And now... That thing in the middle. The thing in the middle inspired by a story that you told me that that came from David Sedaris. What was that again? Yeah, uh, David Sedaris, one of my favorite authors, a beautiful storyteller. If you have not read books by David Sedaris, please read books by David Sedaris. (laughs) Uh, One of his stories is about uh, when he was working as a... A flight attendant, and he wanted to let the passengers know what he thought of them. But obviously, you can't always do that when you're working in a service industry. So at the end of the flight, when he would collect the garbage, he would 
carry the bag around, go from passenger to passenger and say, you're trash, <laughs> you're trash, you're trash. You know what? You're trash. You're trash. <laughs> I love that story. It's one of my favorites. So in the spirit of that story, here are some really weird things that air flight attendants have witnessed. <laughs> air flight attendants. I love that you call them air flight attendants. Isn't that what they're called? We have to get our air flight tickets. <laughs> But in order to do that, we need to go to the ATM machine. Hashtag passenger shaming. (laughs) Number five, a dirty soiled baby's diaper in the seat back pocket. That's where I put my glasses. You're trash. You're trash. Number four, someone shared a photo of a passenger with their emotional support kangaroo. (laughs) Are you complaining about that? I'm sorry, I'm confused. We all need in-flight marsupials. Number three, a guy in first class took off his wet socks and hung them up over the air vents above the seat to dry them out. People all the way in the back of the plane were complaining about the smell. Number two, in 2014, a passenger on a China Eastern Airlines plane said he, quote, wanted to get off the plane quicker and deployed the emergency slide. It caused the aircraft to be delayed for two hours and reportedly cost about $16,000 in damage. You're trash. You're trash. And number one, a lightning round of bizarre items that were requested by passengers. Tweezers to remove thorns from a buttocks. A pen to clean their ears with. Screwdriver to, quote, take the seat apart. And a cup, lid, straw, and knife to, quote, make a catheter. Apparently MacGyver was flying on that plane. Old MacGyver. Elderly MacGyver. (laughs) The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Do you remember that time that I tried to make you pizza and we didn't have any pizza dough, so I used toast? And we didn't have any uh, pizza sauce, so I used spaghetti sauce. And we didn't have any mozzarella, so I used American cheese. Remember that time? That was the worst day of my life. Yeah. Thank God for HelloFresh. HelloFresh has turned me into a decent cook. You're actually pretty amazing. And it's so nice that I come home some nights and I have a delicious meal made for me um, by you and also by HelloFresh. You know, the thing is, life is busy. Life's a time suck. Let's be honest. HelloFresh does all the planning, the shopping, the prepping, so you can focus on enjoying a delicious, healthy dish. There are three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family, and you've got the option to switch between those from when your tastes change or if you want to try something new, and everything comes pre-measured. So you get only the ingredients you need. There's no waste. It's just a magical treat of fun cooking for you. It's pretty easy to get into a recipe rut, even when you're a great cook. We're the worst. (laughs) You want to do grilled cheese again? Okay, we'll Uh, do grilled cheese again. Let's spice it up and have some tomato soup. Okay. HelloFresh has changed our life when it comes to this, and they can do it for you, too. What has been your favorite HelloFresh meal that we've received? I like the portobello mushroom ravioli. Oh, that was really good. That creamy. Creamy sauce. Yeah. Yeah. I licked the pot after we were done. I did not judge you. That's what I love about yeah. Except for that you didn't share the the pot. (laughs) That sounded weird. It did weird. Yep. I was going to say you didn't share the licking, and then I was like, hmm. That sounds even weirder. Nope. Take advantage of HelloFresh's special offer for this year. Get $80 off your first month by going to HelloFresh.com slash box80 and then enter promo code box80. That's like getting eight meals for free or you get $20 off your first four boxes. 
HelloFresh special offer for 2019, $80 off your first month by going to HelloFresh.com slash Box80 and enter promo code Box80. Again, HelloFresh.com slash Box80, enter promo code Box80, get $80 off your first month. I am horrible at remembering to take vitamins. Yeah, me too. At least I was until we started getting our deliveries from Care Of. Now, I'm amazing at taking my vitamins. I actually keep them at work and everyone comes by and they're like, those vitamins have your name on them? Yes, because they were packaged, made specifically for me. They're blended for my bits and what I need done to my bits. So how do they make these personalized packets of vitamins for you? It's a little online quiz that you take and that's pretty much it. You they learn a little bit about you. The quiz is fun. 90% of people, did you know this, fall short of the FDA-recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient? Yeah, and it can be hard to know what vitamins and supplements you should be taking, but Care-of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. Do you want to improve your hair and skin? Do you want to work on your gut health? Mm -hmm. Are you worried about your old bones? I'm worried about my old bones. I think your old bones are lovely, but whatever. Thank you. portion of every sale from Care Of goes to the Good Plus Foundation, which provides expectant mothers in need with valuable prenatal vitamins. How about that? I love it. Plus, vegan and vegetarian supplement options are available to meet your dietary needs. Take advantage of this month's special New Year offer for 50% off your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins. Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code BOX50. 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 That's TakeCareOf.com, promo code BOX50. And take advantage of this great offer. 50% off your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins. TakeCareOf.com, promo code BOX50. Taking your vitamins has never been more fun or easier. Not every box in the world should be open. Just, you know, the odd ones. This is the Box of Oddities. We got an amazing message on uh, Facebook the other day. We're kind of back and forth uh, with this person talking about uh, our upcoming show and... um, then then this came in and I was on my way to work and, and you read this to me over the phone and yeah. I thought that it was it was worth sharing. Really looking forward to meeting you guys, especially me, a freak with anthropophobia. You guys will never know how much you've helped me just by you and your podcast existing. There were even a lot of days I left the house, even though there are people out there just in search of Wi-Fi for the new episode. Also, you unintentionally helped me through a tough time when they were adjusting my meds and I felt like I wasn't really existing anymore. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And as a freak who you've touched, you really are little podcast angels sent to help out the world weary and make us feel like we aren't as alone as we thought we were. Thanks again for bringing all of us freaks together and giving us a home. And and then there is also a little dog emoji, which I appreciate very much. Yeah. I I read that and I just sat back in my chair. It's all I could do to breathe after reading that. And then I called you and read that to you and you cried. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. You got makeup in your eye, you said. It was just, it was breezy. It was breezy. That, um, that's really touching. Yeah. 
now I got to do my story and I'm all like discombobulated. I'm sorry. Here, I'll come up with some sort of transition. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I remember a wacky waving inflatable flailing arm tube men. Oh yeah. Like the used cars lots. Yeah. I love and them. They look like they're dancing yep. to some sort of awesome rave tunes. They're so funny. They're like, I love house music. It's funny when I see those, I want to go and buy a poorly cared for used vehicle. Right. That's good. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're um, welcome. I remember this from an old Unsolved Mysteries oh episode. Oh, my God. I love that show. I think it was like from the late 90s. And so I did a little research online and got uh, got the deets on this. This is uh, this is very X-Files-y. Bling, 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 bling. Okay. 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 So it's August 7th, 1994 in Oakville, Washington, and it's late in the evening. It's like actually early in the morning. It's 3 a.m. and rain begins to fall and it falls over about a 20 mile area. Does it fall angry on the tin roof? Yeah, as I lay awake in bed. But residents began to see that uh, it looked like it was clumping up on windshields and stuff and, and it didn't look entirely it looked like it was more than just water it was gelatinous goo of some sort that was raining from the heavens and over a period of about three weeks it just kept raining goo uh off and on about six different times it wasn't continuously for 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 three weeks but during that three-week period, about six different times, mm-hmm. it started raining stuff that was uh, described as that polywog gelatin that, uh, you know, frog's eggs are in. My dad used to tell me that when it was thundering, that was God bowling. What kind of a bowler do you think God would be? It would be tough to bowl against him. He'd kick your ass all the time. There'd really be no competition there, you wouldn't think. Well, maybe he is aware, uh, or she is aware of uh, said bowling skills, <laughs> and would maybe uh, adjust appropriately. God impresses me as the kind of guy who would have his own ball too. Oh, for sure. You know, and his own shoes. Probably had the ball drilled out, you know, to fit his celestial hands. I love bowling shoes so much. I've wanted a pair forever, and I seriously considered stealing a pair from our local bowling See, if place. See, if you stole a pair of bowling shoes, you would never be able to bowl with God, because you would be a shoe thief. <laughs> I know. I know. And I wanted to, but I couldn't make myself do it. I'm so proud of you. I'm not. I don't have any bowling shoes. <laughs> any hoozle. What were we talking about? We were talking about polywog stuff, oh, looking yes. stuff raining from the sky. It was not polywog or tadpole jelly, okay? It, but it was compared to that. It was that type of consistency. It was just this weird gelatinous goo that smeared against glass instead of washing off. Uh, it obscured windshields. It forced people to pull over. Wow. It got so bad. People would pull into gas stations and try to clean it off manually. And then they noticed that it was kind of mushy and it smelled weird. And so authorities started saying, you know, if you're going to if you're going to clean this off your windshield, you should wear latex gloves because we don't know what this is. A local resident uh, said she stepped outside after it had stopped and noticed that it was everywhere. It was um, at first they they were kind of little blobs about the size of rice, like little hailstones. 
Then she touched it and she noticed that it had this odd gelatinous texture. By afternoon that day, she and her husband, David, Dottie and David, and various other residents all became violently ill. Oh my goodness. Like flu-like, violent flu-like symptoms. They said they couldn't breathe well. They had difficulty breathing. They had extreme vertigo, blurred vision, and of course, nausea, just this incredible nausea. And they all got it at the same time, shortly, like hours after they touched this stuff. Beverly Roberts, who was another resident in the area, said uh, that everyone in town contracted this flu-like illness over a period of two to three months. People were still getting ill after this. Cats and dogs that came into contact <gasps> with no. the subject, with the substance, fell fell ill. No. Some some died. What? No. Yes. So Dottie gets. She starts to feel sick, and about an hour after she started to uh, to to feel sick, she was found sprawled on her bathroom floor. She was conscious but very weak, and her daughter described her as as feeling cold. Uh, She was sweat drenched. She looked very pale. And so she was taken to the hospital, of course, where she stayed for three days and was. And you know what they diagnosed her with? General wonkiness. (laughs) No, a severe inner ear infection. Well, okay, because she had the vertigo. That makes sense. Uh Did, Did Dottie have any pets? It doesn't say if Dottie had pets or not. But her daughter remembered that the odd rain had happened, thinking that there might be some kind of a, a connection, yeah. collected a sample of it, and sent it to the hospital. Good thinking, Dottie's daughter. Way to go, Dottie's daughter. So while they were doing tests on it, according to KXRO, their website, they, uh, they're in Oakvale, Washington, or, or close to it. And by the way, Oakvale has a population of about 665 people. Oh, so little place. Tiny little place, yeah. Oakvale, okay, so Washington's a pretty, that's uh, a pretty rugged state. It, were they near mountains? Were they kind of living in a valley? I'm, I'm just curious about like the geographical yeah. position of this town where it affected this area and not another area. Because in my head, you have to be in something, in some sort of geographical spot that created a, a difference sure. in climate. I'm not really sure. I know that certainly there are mountains in that area. And okay. It's the Pacific Northwest. Beverly Roberts, Oakville resident, uh, told the show. Unsolved on, Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries. Better. Quote, everybody in the whole town came down with something like the flu. Only it was really hard flu that lasted from seven weeks to two or three months. What? And Officer David Lacey said, we turned our windshield wipers on. It was just starting to smear to the point where we could not see. We both looked at each other and said, gee, this isn't right. We're out in the middle of nowhere, basically. Where did this come from? The substance was very mushy, almost like it had a je- like jello in your hand. Ugh. You know, you could pretty much squish it through your fingers. We knew it was something we didn't normally see because we'd never experienced it before. We had some bells go off in our head, though. It said, basically, this isn't right. This isn't normal. Right. The show uh, states that uh, samples were not only sent off to the hospital, but to the Washington Department of Health microbiologist Mike McDowell for testing. And he was interviewed by National Geographic on a different show. And he said he did, he believed that the substance was not natural. Quote, we found two organisms, Pseudonomus fluorescens and Enterobacter cloacae. Yeah, so, okay. He said that these, these substances 
could lead to severe illness. This is very X-Files. It is very X-Files. And what year did you say this was? This was in 1994. He said, I came in, the material was not where it was supposed to be. I asked management what happened to it. His his exact words were, do not ask. This material, and I have no proof one way or the other, was manufactured by someone for some purpose. And for some reason, Oakville was chosen for a test site. It's like biological warfare. Well, that's what this guy was suggesting. I was going to say that about 90 seconds ago, but you wouldn't let me get a word in to I'm, show you how smart I am. Uh, you are so smart, and I <laughs> I figured you would come up with that eventually. <laughs> but here's the weirdest thing about this. The results came in from the lab, from the hospital testing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what they found was that this substance contained a high amount of human white blood cells. What? They couldn't identify what it was or or where it came from out of the sky. Initially, they thought maybe it was waste from an airplane. You know, that you hear Mm -hmm. stories about that. But Federal Aviation Administration regulations require that it be dyed blue while it was. And this was perfectly clear. Furthermore, regulations forbid pilots from releasing this, quote, blue ice in mid-flight. Right. But that wouldn't even be. That's not even the same yeah, thing. I mean, not, that's not, not, no. that's not Dottie going back to her. She stored a sample in her freezer and she sent it to Amtest laboratories, a private research lab. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously wanted them to analyze it. Tim Davis was a microbiologist there. He believes he saw a eukaryotic cell complex nucleus containing cells that are present in most living creatures. This meant that it is or was alive. The theory about its origins was that one of the military's naval bases bombing runs at sea had accidentally destroyed a school of jellyfish and sent the pieces flying into the atmosphere. That seems a little far-fetched. I don't know. Remember that time it rained frogs? That's true. And but they never really determined how that happened. I mean, I've heard water spouts and yeah. you know, those those kind of hypothesis hypothesis bunch of theories. Thoughts. But the distance that the parts would have had to travel and the number of times that it fell and the lack of anything rotting or smelling rotten put this theory to doubt with most residents. Uh, Air Force confirms that uh, they were doing practice bombing runs over the Pacific Ocean on, on, in August of 94. Mm-hmm. They deny knowledge of the substance or any involvement in creating or dispersing it. Uh, locals of Oakville are skeptical of this. Prior to that, many residents noticed a significant almost daily amount of slow-moving military aircraft in the skies above their town. Some believe Oakville was the site of a military experiment designed to test the new biological weapon or, according to Unsolved Mysteries again, to test the possible damage of biological attack on U.S. soil. There are no samples of the substance in existence today. Um, Why? I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. It rained this stuff for three weeks, and yet we can't, we don't have any samples of it kicking around. Really? Really? Well, it was 25 years ago. It also made people terribly ill. That's true, but Dottie only had so much room in her freezer next to the fish sticks. I guess that's true. To this day, this case is still officially unsolved. That's really, really fascinating. Yeah. I think about like, um, you remember my the picture I have of the nurse holding up my bag of product? 
<laughs> yes, you were a uh, bone marrow uh, donor. Well, not technically, but what was it that you? What was your product that they harvested from your bones? It was white blood cells. It was white blood yeah. cells. Okay. Um, um, so it was a peripheral blood stem cell donation. Okay. And um, so it took a couple of days, but when they held up, I mean, they, they showed me my, what they called my product, which I was very proud of. And mm-hmm. it was like a half bag of just this gelatinous white, but with like kind of a pink it hue was to it. Yeah. I remember um, seeing that picture. Yeah. And uh, I'm just thinking about like, if that was raining down on people, <laughs> that'd be pretty gross, mm. I think. Yeah. There were no reports of it being um, pink in color. It seems like it was pretty much clear, but it did sure. It did consa- contain human blood cells, human white blood cells, for some reason. Hmm. But it also made people ill, and my yeah. product would never have no. made people ill. If they'd rained your product over Oakville, everybody would have been happy and had a very infectious laugh. But over time, would call the police an exorbitant amount of times. This is accurate. About trumped up mailbox stealing murder cases. Listen, you don't know the situation, okay? You didn't see the suspicious manner with which they pulled up and sped off. (laughs) I couldn't love you more. We mentioned the uh, live show uh, a few minutes ago. Zany's Nightclub in Nashville. Still some general admission (laughs) tickets left. We are three weeks out. It's oh getting my God. so close. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited. Also, we wanted to mention, too, we were thinking about doing maybe a question and answer session at the end, but we wanted you to submit your questions. If you would like to submit them to us, you can email them to curator at the box of oddities.com. And then I'll write them down on index cards and bring them with us. Yeah, we'll do that. So that'll be fun. So if you go into the show. Send us a question. If you're not going to the show, send us a question. Right. Yeah. No, either way, if you've got any questions, I can't imagine what you possibly could ask. I mean, I imagine that 90% of what we get will be about the dogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And of course, as it should be, Mm -hmm. as it should be. Get your tickets at theboxofoddities.com. All right. Let's pack it in. Uh, Box of Oddities. That's it. We will see you on Thursday. Okay. Yes. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2019, all rights reserved Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms.